Hello and welcome to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those that like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. I'm your host, Joe Milmine, and coming up in today's show, we have Enablers Corner, we have an interview with British designer Louise Tilbrook, and the sock surgery returns with some top sock tips to finish off the month. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 38 of the podcast. How are you all? I hope you've been well since the last time I spoke to you. This week we've got a venerable mishmash of our usual segments to bring to you. For all of those of you who are on the come down still from um, the madness that was at Edinburgh Yarn Festival, there's a little bit of chat about that in Enablers Corner. Then we'll move swiftly on to an interview with one of my favourite sock designers, Louise Tilbrook. And we'll follow that up with a few toe-up sock tips um, to finish up the month in the sock surgery with Claire. So get yourself a rooibos or a gin and tonic, depending on what time of the day it is at the moment where you are in the world, and let's crack on with the show. Oh, I do love a little bit of enabling and I'm back again with a little rundown of things that I may have purchased at Edinburgh Yarn Festival and things I may have received as beautiful birthday gifts at Edinburgh Yarn Festival as well as um, the odd one or two thing that may pop in regarding things I've seen that I think you might like. I'm going to save the main uh, post-mortem for Edinburgh, if you will, until the next episode when I can fully collect all of my thoughts together. It has been a pretty uh, a busy week, lots of things been happening at Shiny Heights and I don't think I've fully managed to process all of the uh, stuff that has gone on and uh, since Edinburgh Yarn Festival. For those of you that I saw and got to meet in real life, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming to say hello to me. For those of you who just looked at me as if um, to say I'd I think that's Jo from Shiny Bees, but I'm too scared to say hello and she isn't being kind enough to be wearing her Shiny Bees Ravelry badge because she forgot it. Um, but I probably waved at you and said hello vaguely. Uh, hello. And for those of you that I may have mistakenly thought that I'd met before, uh, because you're actually one of the models in Kate Davis's Yokes book, yes, that's you, Mel, and uh, I said hello to you like I'd known you for a hundred years and uh, had a full-on conversation before realising halfway through a conversation with somebody else that I hadn't ever in fact met you. I'd heard about you from Kate and had seen you in the Yokes book and thought that I had met you because of that. Um, lovely to meet you actually, <laughs> Mel. For anyone that I didn't get to see, I'm very, very sorry to have missed you. It was very busy and uh, I know a lot of you were, you know, busy, hard at work, doing your shopping and having a look around and talking to your favourite vendors. So if I did um, miss you, um, hopefully we'll get to meet again at another event. Please do just stop me if you see me wandering around like a crazy at knitting events because I absolutely love to chat to you all. In terms of uh, acquisitions then to the Shiny Bees household, I kept the yarn buying down to a very, very respectable level and that is mostly because I'm just a little bit maxed out with the yarn at the moment. That's not in a showy-offy way, it's just in a, I really want to knit some of it away and there's been a lot of uh, yarns that have come into the household and uh, not enough have gone out at this stage, so I was just feeling a little bit at critical stash, shall we call it. I'll talk about critical stash next time as a, a theoretical, uh, physical, philosophical concept, I think, uh, because I do have some thoughts on critical stash. Uh, but what I did buy uh, for my very own self was a blanket from Nakandu Woolmill, 
which was woven in the wool mill itself and it is a Shetland pattern it's all different colors of squares I uh, will see if I can put a little linky in um, the show notes to Nakandu to the shop at Nakandu it is opening again actually today it's a little uh, wool mill that's been renovated um, and saved from extinction if you will it is um, one of the oldest surviving um, working mills of its kind in Scotland and it was all but derelict until the uh, trust got together and raised a lot of money to renovate it which they have done and um, it won some prizes actually for architectural merit and the work that had been done there they use Victorian machinery uh, the original machinery that was in there to produce uh, knitting yarns and blankets and tweeds as long as as well as a range of other sort of goods and all of the profits from that go back into supporting the wool mill we all know how much of a fan of that concept i am after my small accident at new lanark mill hence the critical stash problem that i'm having at the moment and i decided that instead of getting some yarn and there were some beautiful yarns available they spin a norwegian dala which isn't a uk uk breed it is obviously norwegian um but they spin that on their machinery and Helen Lockhart at Ripples Crafts, who is up in the highlands of Scotland, uh, she hand dyes some of that yarn for them to sell. They also had that at Edinburgh Yarn Festival. I did go and have a good old squidge of that. But I've been looking for a wool blank, woolen blanket for a, a while for the house. I've looked at several places, Johnston's Cashmere being one of them in Elgin. Um, and Nakandu being the other and I went and had a little pot around and a look and it seemed like quite a good opportunity to see the goods in in person because the wool mill closes over winter and uh, spotted this blanket had a little look at it and uh, decided to buy it so I got that along with a little lavender bag made out of the same woolen um, fabric to uh, keep my blanket nice and safe in the summer month and I also went along and had a look at Whistlebear Yarns who are a firm based in Northumberland in the UK so bordering um, one of the border counties with Scotland it's an English county and I used to live in Northumberland in Annick and I decided to have a look at their um, their yarns it looked like it was something a little bit different I did buy some yarn at this point and it was the DK weight yarn and it is a blend of 60% mohair from their own goats and 40% uh, Wensleydale from I think one of her sons has a Wensleydale flock and she buys the sheep, uh, not the sheep, the fleece from him and has that also spun into the yarn. It is a DK weight and knits up pretty much as such uh, but it doesn't feel like it's quite a thin yarn, it feels more like a four ply but it's very heavy. Um, because of the mohair content and I bought four skeins of that to make another Lush, Lush Mark 4. I've got all this yarn lined up for Lushes and not managing to knit any of them at the moment. So I'm going to have a little swatch with that, see how it washes uh, when it comes, um, once it's been washed and blocked, see how it comes up then to see if I can make it work for the Lush cardigan. I've seen Louise Scully's Wensleydale Long Wool Sheep Shop version and it's really shiny and silky but quite thin feeling compared to my big fluffy uh, blacker swan version so i thought it'd be quite nice to have one like that it looks quite silky and um mohair's really good in terms of it's probably a bit twice as, as warm as merino so i thought oh i could do that be a nice light um cardigan to wear 
but we'll have a lot of uh, good thermal properties. So the yarns are all uh, spun in the UK and then they are also hand dyed on their farm. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go and check out um, their offering. I haven't seen them around at many shows. Uh, it was just that one, uh, just one other time I think other than this time. And because I didn't have much mohair in the... Uh, in the old Stasharuni, I thought I would um, I would indulge a little bit this time. I also got some lovely gifts from my lovely nitty friends for my birthday, um, including a couple of Yolks bags, uh, which are I can uh, vouch for now the sturdiness of the gusset on the Yolks bag, which are available from shopkdd.com. They are the um, bags that I've mentioned before that have a hand drawing of all of the patterns from Yoke on the front that Felix Ford has drawn. So um, I, I make good use of both of those. I got some beautiful Corriedale yarn from Coach House Yarns, Linda, who um, gave me a skein of her uh, Swiss Army base, which is 100% Corriedale, in the colourway Labyrinth, which I'm now using as my desk pomander, my pomander yarn me to sniff when the yarn fumes are getting a little bit low and I'm hard at work and it is beautiful I cannot wait to uh, cast that on and knit it up it's very crunchy and bouncy and looks like it's going to be great fun from my lovely friend Knit British I got uh, a mug with shiny bees on one side and it's a spade on the other uh, which I thought was very apt uh, amongst other lovely lovely um, gifts from Tilly Flop and I got some lovely hand cream and some gin and I was very, very spoiled. So thank you to all of you who um, who thoughtfully sent me gifts. They were not necessary, but they are incredibly highly appreciated. So I think um, it's time to ease back on the enabling a little bit and we'll pop over to listen to Louise Tilbrook and welcome her to the show and listen to her uh, interview about all things Yarny and business. So I am very pleased today to be welcoming Louise Tilbrook to the show. How are you, Louise? I'm fine, thank you. Brilliant. So Louise is a sock designer and is based in the UK and I've invited her on the show today to come and do an interview with us. So for those who are not familiar with you, Louise, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be interested in Yarny Pursuits? Well, um, I've been knitting now for um, a good few years. I, I was taught by my grandma, I think like like so many of us are. Um, so I knit a little as a child. Um, and then as a teenager and a student, I had other things to do and didn't knit. And then I picked it up again uh, probably about five or six years ago. And um, just, uh, I think it was when Ravelry was just starting and um, I discovered that there was a whole um, yeah, online community of knitters and um, yeah, just generally got started on sweaters and scarves and usual things. Um, and then through Ravelry, I got into sock knitting and got addicted to socks and sock yarn and you know, lovely um, hand-painted designer yarn. Um, and then... Yeah, just gradually uh, got more and more interested in, in design and sock design specifically. So I um, started to make a, a range of designs, mainly um, mainly unisex, 
uh, and with a strong focus on cables. Um, I, I like knitting for um, my husband and, and my family members, most of whom are men and most of whom have very large feet. And I found that a lot of the knitting patterns on Ravelry were very, um, uh, were, were more female orientated. There's some beautiful, you know, lots of beautiful lace patterns, um, but not so much that involved um, cables or texture. Um, so th that's what I tended to focus on really. And, and it's just going from there. Oh, brilliant, because a lot of your designs also knit both ways as well, which is something I find quite interesting. Is there any yeah. particular reason you decided to do that? Um, partly because um, when I'm designing, um, I, I tend to design toe up. Um, I, I think like, like most people, I learned to knit socks cuff down to start with. And for a few years, that's what I did, you know, socks on double pointed needles, cuff down. And then I, I got into magic loop. And, and for me, Magic Loop, I, I work much better toe up. It just seems more intuitive, uh, particularly when I'm designing as well. It's um, you can start a toe up sock and, and that, that's your swatch, really. You can sort of try it on as you go and you can play around with the design on the top of the foot until you're happy with it. So toe up seemed to make sense to me. But from a purely commercial point of view, um, looking on Ravelry, you know, the the um, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, the majority of socks are, are, are cuffed down and that seems to be what um, a lot of knitters are comfortable with. So given that I'd already knit, I'd already designed the sock toe up, it, it didn't take, it's not that much work really to, to rejig it to, to go cuffed down. And having done that work, it seems sensible just to, to offer the pattern in both formats. Um, obviously, some designs don't really work, you know, some work in, in one direction more than the other. Um, and some of my earlier designs, um, I, I just did toe up. I didn't offer a cuff down version, but now I'm going back through with the help of a few um, a few lovely test knitters. Um, so I'm going back through my back catalogue and just a few that were exclusively toe up um, cuff down as well, just to kind of just so it all matches. Um, but I say that there are one or two that are just just one direction or the other. I've, I've had a lot of a lot of good feedback from people. You know, a, a lot of knitters like that it's offered in both uh, formats, and I've had a few people who've who've bought bought the design and knit the cuff down version, and then they've been inspired to try the toe up version as well. So that so they've knit the same design but but two ways. Um, so yeah, it's it's good. It's nice to have that feedback, and it's nice that people. So nice that people like it. Yeah, definitely. I think it's quite good because it, it just, it, as well, it gives you the feeling that you kind of, you are thinking about all of the people that are knitting it and you feel like you're getting something extra that you could try that maybe you wouldn't necessarily go for mm. to start with, like you said. So, yeah, I, th I think some people who, I think people who haven't tried to, to sock knitting before are maybe a little nervous or they're, a bit unsure of it and I think because they've got the the pattern in two formats it gives them a bit more reassurance um you know that they can um they can sort of learn those skills just focusing on the toe up bit because they've already you know they've already done that cable pattern or they've done that design and, and that bit's familiar to them um so yeah it's, it's good it's um and it, it doesn't really involve you know, some some people have sort of said, "Oh, does it involve a lot more work?" But it, it doesn't really. It's um, you still got to do the charts, and you've got to do you know um, each um, 
each bit of the design, you, you still got to do it whether you're doing uh, toe up or cuff down. So it's it's just a bit of extra, um, a bit of extra work on the computer, and you've got and you've got two for the price of one. Yeah, definitely. So what was the tipping point then that turned your hobby and designing socks that you thought your husband and your family members would like into more of a business venture? Um, I, I think, again, it was probably um, probably the feedback I got on, on Ravelry, um, you know, just sort of putting designs out there and, you know, the fact that people liked them and wanted to knit them. Um, it, it, it was a good... Um, it was a it was a good experience actually. I had a lot of people contact me and say that they like my designs. Um, yeah, I, I still I still consider myself very much a, a sort of a, a starting out designer. I don't really consider myself um, very established. Certainly not when I look at you know, all the other sort of sock gurus out there. Um, but I, I'm I'm just happy to kind of pootle on and, and grow my business slowly. Um, I say I, I still work. Um, professionally as well so I'm a, I'm a scientist by day and um, sock knitter by night so there's only so much designing I can fit into a into a working week anyway um, so for the minute I'm kind of content just to grow you know go slow and steady and just focus on you know putting designs out there that that I like and I like to knit and and hopefully others like to knit them as well Absolutely. Um, do you find that any of your skills from your science background translate into designing patterns? Um, I, I'm, I'm probably quite, um, I'm quite methodical, um, quite scientific. Um, so I, I suppose when I approach a pattern, when I'm out, when I'm writing a pattern, I'm probably uh, quite methodical in how I do that. And I, I think I, I have had some people comment that they like the way uh, that my patterns um, are logical and, and this sort of, the way they progress through. So I, I guess part of that is is just my background. Um, but other than that, no, I, I think um, I think designing is something I do to kind of escape my day job. <laughs> I'm not sure it really um, complements it that much. And it's nice it, for me. It's nice to have a balance. Um, it, it's nice to have um, something that allows me to be more creative, um, having spent. Um, you know, several years now as a, as a scientist in the in the health service um, doesn't give you an awful lot of scope for creativity and um, not a huge amount of capacity for fun whereas um, knitting and designing and you know being able to meet so many people through through Ravelry and, and knitting events you know it really um, it, it really brings an extra an, an extra dimension to things which is what I really enjoy. So what does the average day look like then for you? Um, it's a real mixture, really. Um, as I say, I, I work outside the home. So on days when I'm working, it's the usual, you know, sort of kids, school run, work. Um, and I normally try and squeeze in little bits of knitting as and when I can. Um, and then when I get home in the evenings and the kids have gone to bed, then I can usually um, I can usually do a little more. Uh, to be honest, I'm much more of a morning person. Um, once it gets past about ten o'clock, I'm um, I'm pretty much brain dead. To be honest, so most of my work, if I want, to, if I've got something important I need to do, or pattern writing, or anything like that, then I tend to get up early in the morning before the kids are up, um, get it done then. Um, and then on days when I'm not working, 
I try and cram in as many jobs as I possibly can. Uh, I, I normally try and do a little bit of design work every day, even if it's just a few minutes or a little bit of pattern writing and just try and spread it out as much as I can. I don't tend to do, um, most of my work tends to be self-published at the moment. I, I do some commission work for um, for magazines, but most of it tends to be self-published just because you have a bit more control over deadlines, particularly with um, with not being a full-time designer. You don't have as much control over your working week, as you, over your design working week as you'd like. So it's for me at the minute, it, it's better just to kind of focus on what I know I can do and not give myself too many um, too many deadlines and too much pressure. Um, there's nothing worse than sort of you know a, a looming deadline and the fact that you know you've got to go to work and you've got to get the kids to school and you've got to do all the usual things, um, and, and you don't have time to um, to, to spend as you'd like on, on the design. You don't, you, know, you, you don't have time to do it as well as you'd like. Um, yes, so for the moment it's just a matter of. Um, yeah, little and often, and um, just trying to um, just trying to keep keep new designs coming. Really. Yeah, there's nothing kills creativity more than a massive amount of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right, and, and the feeling that you've got to you've got to produce something that's um, yeah that, that, that's different, that's striking, that's beautiful, um, and, and trying to do that to order is um, is the bit I, I find really hard. Yeah, I, I try and kind of um, spend time if I come across a new idea or um, a new stitch pattern or something. I spend a bit of time swatching and and making a note of it. But yeah, I, I like to be able to allow time for things to develop um, organically rather than having to to force them too much. No, brilliant. So. Can you talk us through, because you've alluded to different parts of the process as we've been talking about it. Mm -hmm. Do you have a set process when you design a sock? And if you do, can you talk us through how you go about it? Um, I, I tend to, I, I generally start with the yarn. So I'll find um, a yarn that really appeals to me, either the colour or the um, or the twist or you know, something that, um, really makes me want to knit it and then I'll, I'll just have a play with stitch patterns um yeah I, I do like I do like a nice cable and um and, and twisted stitches as well so that that tends to be um what I focus on so I, I'll start with that and then as I say I, I design toe up primarily so I'll start doing a few um little toe up swatches just to see how how it works um, and, and how the design might flow. Um, it does mean that in every room in my house you go in, you'll find a little toe of a sock somewhere <laughs> lurking around. <laughs> my husband jokes, you know, there's so many pieces of knitting. Um, you, literally, you go into a room and you, on at least two or three service, services, you'll, I'm sure you'll find a little piece of knitting or a toe or something. Um, but it's handy just to be able to pick them up and just work on them. Um, and just try things out really. So I'll do that to start with until I've got something that I like, and then I'll knit up a sample. And then I have my um, I have a Ravelry group, and I have a lovely bunch of people on there who who like to test knit for me. So I'll do some testing, and I normally write the toe, I normally knit the toe up version, and then um, write the cuff down version, and just do a sample of that. 
and then I have my um, intrepid band of uh, test knitters who'll just make sure that I've got all my all my numbers right and then obviously my tech editor as well and, and then we go from there so some designs um, sort of come together really quickly some you know, take a little longer and some just no matter how hard you try you just can't the toe up version for example works perfectly but I just can't get the same flow through the cuff down version so one or two you know I, I don't do that for because I, I don't want to kind of I don't want to feel that I have to do that for every pattern I don't want to try and force it if it, you know, if it really doesn't work um my, my bugbear is always um when you have like the ribbing at the cuff of the sock and it doesn't really flow into the into the main body of the design uh, I, I always find it a bit jarring if you have a beautiful you know, cable pattern or something like that and then you just have a little one by one rib sort of stuck on the top it just doesn't seem to work um so if i can't get it to work i don't i'll just focus on on the toe up version so no journey is ever smooth and running a business has its ups and downs can you tell us about a time when things maybe didn't quite go to plan what happened and what did you learn as a result of it um, I think when I was um, first starting to submit signs to um, publications, I, I submitted um, a design that I'd done and there was quite a long time lag between, obviously, you know, at the time I didn't realise quite how long it was between submitting a design and having to produce finished samples and um, being a, a sort of newbie designer, I hadn't appreciated the value of keeping extensive notes on your design so I found myself having to um, re-knit a, a large amount of, of the, the sample to get it to work how the original did and obviously with a, a looming deadline and the fact that I had to produce um, these socks was really quite stressful and really um, yeah, I, I just really wish it would have been so much easier had I just kept good notes as I went along the first time. Uh, and, and I thought I had. I, I thought I'd done you know, sufficient, but obviously I hadn't. And it was very difficult to kind of reproduce the design from the original. So I ended up having to you know, do a lot of it on the fly. Um, so that was my um, that was my learning point was to keep good notes. And so ever, ever since then, I've always um, kept a... a um, a particular journal that I keep all my notes in and I am very good at you know literally line by line, uh, row by row as I'm as I'm doing it then I'll I'll make sure I've got good notes as well so I can go back and and, and reproduce it but yeah I think it's one of those things you, you do it once and you learn and then, and then you don't do it again. Yeah absolutely it's easy to get carried away isn't it as well you get all excited you get it done and then. Yeah yeah absolutely and I think you just get a bit carried away with how beautiful it looks and it's, it's all going swimmingly and you know and, and then you you come back to look at it and you look at the sort of you know the detail of it and trying to work out exactly how many pearl stitches were there between that cable um yeah it's it just adds an extra level of um headache that you can do without when, when you're up against it so so yeah keep good notes would be my uh, would be my learning point yeah and it's pretty important for our business to be fair in terms of record keeping and stuff it's probably not that exciting or glamorous but it is essential no. <laughs> it's like all these things I think isn't it there's there's the um 
you know, as a designer, you know, I have this mental image of, you know, I, I sort of, I, I, I waft about and I, um, yeah, work with beautiful yarns and I produce these lovely patterns and, you know, it's um, it's lovely. But then, like I said, there's all the sort of the stuff that goes on in the background about, you know, keeping good notes and making sure that, you know, people can follow what you've done. Um, you know, and it's all the kind of, it's all the little details that, that, that make the difference, really. Yeah. Um, so which other knitwear designers inspire you and why? Um, I think um, probably Cookie A is the, um, the sock designer who really um, inspired my love of socks. You know, I, I've, I've knit several pairs of monkey socks, I think, like, like everybody else. Um, but I love the um, I, I love the way she plays with the um, the architecture of a design and the fact that you, you you look at something and you think it's quite straightforward and then you and then you look at how she's actually created the pattern and how she's got it to move around the foot. I think is is really um, I think she sees sock design differently to a lot of people. I think and um, I, I I just I, I love that. Um, I love that playing with texture and shape that she does. Um, and I, th I think probably the, the other um, designer that I that inspired me is um, Rachel Coopy as well. You know, Coop Knits. You know, her stock designs are just so beautiful and um, really sort of timeless and classic. Um, yeah, I, I think they're. Um, I, I love the way that her designs seem to appeal to so many people. She, she really has. You know, such a great range and um, a great portfolio. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just like her work. I'm just a bit of a fangirl. <laughs> it's cool. Everyone has to fangirl somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got like an all time favourite sock pattern? Um, I think it probably would be, probably very unoriginally, I think probably the monkey socks actually. Um, they're. Yeah, I've knit them for myself. I've knit them as gifts for people. I've knit the no pearl version as well, which is sort of fun, a fun way of um, of doing them. Um, but yeah, it's just a very. You can see why they're so popular. I think they once you get the stitch pattern in your head, you know, you can you just whiz along and just they work equally well in variegated or side yarns. I think it's it's one of those uh, rare designs that seems to work well with whatever yarn you're using. Yeah, because that can be a massive challenge, I think, at times, when you think something's going to work with a pattern, mm. and it's just not always the case. And you can go for the safe option of a solid or semi-solid in anything and get away with it. But when it comes to like the pretty, variegated yarns, which generally do tend to be sock-suitable, and you want to showcase them, it can be difficult to find a suitable pattern, I think. Yeah, I think another good one is probably something like Hermione's everyday sock I mean that always seems to work well um with the more sort of brightly colored yarns as well um I've seen some really beautiful ones that people have done with yarns that have you know, might otherwise pull or you get problems with um with sort of patches of color um so I think that that probably would be my second favorite I think would be the Hermione socks good choice so, moving on from your favourite socks then, which one thing that you know now did you wish you had known when you first picked up a ball of yarn? 
Oh, good grief. Um, I think I had no idea um, the whole the whole world of knitting that was out there, I think. I, I still very, when I uh, got back into knitting again, um, I, I thought knitting was kind of, um, you, you just had to knit from magazines or, or patterns. Um, you, you, you went to, I have very vivid memories of, um, as a child, you would go to the wool shop and you would buy your wool and the pattern to go with it and the needles and you would, you would take them home and you would knit that pattern, you know, often in that, in that colour. <laughs> yeah, exactly as it was on, on the pattern cover. I think I, I just had no idea how um, um, the, the range of uh, yarn that was available and the just the... Um, I don't know how to phrase it. The just the whole community, I think. The fact that it is all encompassing, and you, the more you find out about it, the more you want to learn. Um, and, and the fact that there's a a whole community of people out there who think just like you do. Um, so yeah, I don't know many knitters in my certainly not in my day job. Um, and I, I know a few socially, but not many. Um, but yeah, just the whole. The whole community and the whole um, friendliness of it, really. The fact that you can walk to a knitting festival and strike up a conversation with just about anybody is um, is lovely. And but I, I think what I'm trying to say is that I just really like the fact that you're um, as a knitter, you're not alone. You, you know, you've always got this kind of big community of people behind you, and if you're if you're having problems with a particular design or you can't get gauge or, or whatever, you know, there's a whole load of people there who can help you. I, I wish I'd known how much um, time it would take, it would take up. But then again, at the same time, I don't regret it at all because I love, I, I love what I do. I, I love knitting. Um, and I think there's a lot more things you could be wasting your time on. I think at least I'm doing something productive. I'm, um, yeah, I'm achieving something even on the most stressful of days where I just think everything has gone to pot and, you know, my children are going feral and the house is a tip and, you know, I haven't done anything and I'm useless and I just think, actually, no, but I've, I've turned the heel of a sock or I did, you know, I, I, I did something else. And, and then that, that sort of gives you a sense of achievement and the fact that you, you, you have actually done something. Uh, productive I think my, my husband would probably disagree I think he'd probably um he'd probably wish that he could have all the space under the bed back because it's currently occupied by my boxes of stash uh, I think he, he certainly had no idea how much I would um I, I would take to knitting again um but at the same time he you know, he, he's he's happy that I'm um happy doing what I'm doing uh, and as we speak, he's um, in Paris, hopefully scouring yarn shops for me. So that would be nice. <laughs> it is. And this is it, you see, solitary, it's not a solitary sport knitting. You you were all upset on Twitter that, you you know, you weren't going to be able to attend um, the Muse Connection. And then within within a matter of minutes, we had a range of Parisian yarn shops for your husband to go to, <laughs> to ease the blow. <laughs> that was so funny. My, my husband couldn't believe me that... Um, yeah, because I, I, I was, I, I jokingly kind of um, sent him an email and I, I put the location of the shop. We have like a shared um, 
online calendar that, that we use. So I, I made sure the address of the shop was in there. And um, and then he, he sort of, he, he, he kind of mentioned, said, oh, I, 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 while I'm there, perhaps I'll see if I can find you, you know, a yarn shop. And I thought, oh, it's funny you should mention that because, you know, there's one, uh, you know, you're in the, I think he's in the 13th R&D and the shop is in the 14th. So it's, it's really not too far from you, you know, so if you're, if you're planning a walk or whatever. And he looked at me, he was like, are you joking, you know? Do you actually know there's a yarn shop there? And I said, yeah, 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 I do. So, so I pointed it out and I showed him. And he just sort of shook his head and was like, oh, knitters. <laughs> and knitters will rule the world eventually with their um, with their powers of organisation. <laughs> it's because they have a beautiful Instagram account. It's um, I can't pronounce it very well. Lucivite? Oh, daddy said. <laughs> I don't know. The Tea Cafe. I call it the Tea Cafe because I can't pronounce it properly. Yes, no, I think it was through Instagram that I, I saw them, actually, because they those beautiful photographs. It might have been through um, Curious Handmade, actually. I think she might have, I think she organised a prison yarn trip a little while ago. I think she may have gone there. Uh, but, yeah, I, I just love, love their pictures. And um, having said that, it's now Wednesday and he's due back tomorrow, and I'm not sure he's actually been to the shop yet, so I shall be... Um, I should be emailing him later to see if he has or not. Just lock him out. If he doesn't bring you, if he doesn't pass yarn through the letterbox, don't let him in. <laughs> That's a good point. Get him to frisk him at Heathrow and see what he's got. It's like you can't. You're not coming unless you unless you brought me yarn. You're not coming in. <laughs> That's it. I had to. Co- I also had this conversation with my husband. He's away in America at the moment. And he oh, was talking okay. about what I would like. And I said, it's okay, I've already spoken to Maria of Subway Knits and these are the yarn companies and there's this shop in Washington and what, 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 what. <laughs> so, and he's quite good because he got, gets to sample a lot of the yarns when they come in and he sniffs them and things. He goes through the whole rigmarole. He's been briefed on the protocols required for new yarns coming into the house. So he's pretty good. Quite, I'm quietly confident I'm going to get something decent. Oh, you've got him well trained. Yeah, yeah, he's he's good. He normally he helps me pack up all the golden skin parcels as well. Ah, so he knows, oh, knows so about everybody. So. Yeah, I tell him the story of each person when he when he when he reads the name out. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. they do this, they do that, they do that. So he likes it. <laughs> so speaking of wool, then in particular, desert island skeins. If you were going to be marooned on a desert island, and this is probably quite personal for you because you knit very quickly. And you could only take one, just one, Louise, skin or ball of yarn. Which would you take and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I'd just have to take um, a skein of, I guess it would have to be lace weight, um, just so you get maximum knitting yardage out of it. Um, but I think something fairly robust, um, something like... Um, a silk blend or something like that and then it would stand being um ripped and re-knit a few times so that while you were waiting for your um for your rescue you could um you could have plenty of knitting opportunities so I think yeah something that's probably at least a thousand yards of um silk lace weight and then you could knit yourself a fabulous sarong um a little, a little bit of beach wear um so that w- w- when you're rescued you've got something glamorous to wear that's the main thing, really, isn't it? Because you don't want to be stood there in tatters. Or you could have some really nice silk socks. This is true. This is true. But I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think I'd go for something sort of light and drapey. And um, 
<laughs> I was busy thinking how you could fish. You could use some of the yarn to fish with because it's lace weight and it's silk, it's quite strong. You could, yeah, you, 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 your stole could double as a kind of um, as a fishing net, couldn't it? You could, um, yeah, and then you could um, catch fish and then wear it to look glamorous later on. <laughs> you definitely need some salt wash as well, then, wouldn't you? You would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you might, yeah. Yeah, not not a good combination, perhaps. <laughs> no, I'm sure they would sponsor it though, like a desert island sponsored by Soak. Um, <laughs> oh, crazy! Definitely time for another cup of tea. So, what is your um, favourite go-to resource for yarn craft or business that you couldn't do without? Oh, do you know, I, I really struggled with this question because, I, yeah, I think like everyone, I, Ravelry is is my main. Um, um, I spend a lot of my um, time, probably too much time, on Ravelry. Um, but it, it really is the most fabulous resource for you know, just connecting with friends, with customers, with uh, other designers. You know, it's it's a brilliant uh, place, and I love that they're so responsive to um, you know, to to the users. You know, I love it. just this week. I think Casey's done something with the. Um, with the formatting of the forum so that when you look at it on your smartphone um you don't have to do all the kind of zooming in that you know, had to do before it's um it's changed the layout which is you know it's brilliant for something that's free to use i think it's um i think it's just amazing um i think other than i think if i didn't pick ravelry i'd probably say instagram um again i i used it a little to start with but I've started to use it more and more and again I just love the way it connects you to so many different people um and you, you can see what they're knitting um it's a bit more um I, I like Twitter but you, sometimes you're you're um you're restricted by the number of characters and, and you can't it's, I find it harder to have a, a conversation with people on Twitter whereas Instagram I think it's um it's really visual it's really quick um, it's a really good little snapshot into you know what everyone's working on, um, but yeah, I think I, I would have to say Ravelry. I think as my um, as my as my number one. Yeah, absolutely. But then that's why so many people say it because it. it I don't think any of us would really know about each other or have that community aspect mm. without it. Because the chances that you would just randomly have come across each other on Twitter. <laughs> Well, that's right. It's, it's such a big place, isn't it? And it's such a diverse group of people. And I know people always try and describe, to non-knitters, you try and describe Ravelry and you try and say, oh, it's like it's like Facebook for knitters or whatever. But that, that doesn't even come close, does it? it it's nowhere near. Um, doesn't really encompass everything that it does. And I, and I like the way that people use Ravelry for different things. You know, you have some people who just, some people literally just use it as a source of patterns, um, some people, um, you know, are, are really active and use it for chat forums and, and all kinds of things. And it's it, it can be whatever you want it to be, really. And I think you can use it you know, as much or as little as you like. And I, I love the way that you can have been using it for years and still find features that are new to you that you, you didn't know it did. Um, that's probably why I spend so much time on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and like you say, it is a free pattern because I don't know, I sometimes get quite annoyed by people who have this sense of entitlement when it comes to Ravelry about oh. how it should be this, that and the other. And the minute it's not exactly how they want it, they feel that they have the facility, thanks to Casey, 
to vent about it on Ravelry. Um, but like you've rightly said there, they are quite responsive to the needs and wants of their community and they do work, they seem to work very hard to try and accommodate them for something that costs nothing to use and is very cheap to sell your patterns on and advertise on. No, absolutely. I think it's, I think like you say, sometimes I think people do forget that, you know, it is just Casey and a very small team of people. And yeah, I think, I think one thing that illustrates it was the whole issue about the um, EU fat saga, you know, and how um, something which Ravelry is, is obviously it's international, but there's a, a large sort of American and um, North American um population of users and you know, something that just affects you know, something that happens in the EU obviously affected everybody and I think it was just amazing the way that Casey and his team kind of stepped in and worked with Love Knitting to solve the problems of you know, a, a, a small number of designers um, and make it so that you know essentially things are the way they were before you know, the, the the person buying the pattern doesn't really they might have an extra step or, or two to go through, but yeah, it, it makes the whole thing as seamless as possible. And you, know, you, you didn't have to do that. And, and I know, obviously, that's how they make their that's how they make their business is by um, designers selling patterns and, and through advertising. But you know, to do that and, and to do it at the speed they did it over Christmas and New Year, when you know, certainly in the UK, uh, I don't think anyone was working in the um, in the government tax offices over. <laughs> over that time but yet Casey and the team and the love knitting team were you know hard at work trying to um trying to put something in place that would work it was a little bit of a shocker I think for a lot of people other than KD who had it all all nailed clearly <laughs> with her awesome accountant um but everyone else was a bit sort of I don't know I think the more upsetting thing is not the fact they want you to pay that it's more they don't seem to know what they want you to pay it for <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. if you can't make up your mind why how can I pay a bill when you don't even know what you want <laughs> yeah it's the fact that you know oh no this you know, this will only affect a very small number of people and then you're like, actually well no it affects you know if you look at all the possible digital services there are you know that affects an awful lot of people um and, and we're not all you know businesses with you know teams of staff and and everything else you know we're, we're just one person um, although certainly after listening to the KD interview, I was, I was sort of thinking about maybe I should get myself an accountant because it does seem like it might be a good thing to do. I, I think, as I've said before, it's just flawed. When you write legislation that far in advance and then don't update it in something like the digital economy, it's never going to go that well. Well, exactly. things, things move so quickly, don't they? And, and the EU is renowned for moving not very quickly. So. I know, and they're talking about putting it on actual products in 2016, but that's a whole other discussion, and hence why I've got an accountant. Um, so, um, moving on swiftly from that more and blood pressure issues on this side of the conversation, at least, um, where can the listeners find you? Um, well, I say I've, I've talked about Ravelry a lot, but obviously I'm, I have um, a group on Ravelry where I'm Louise Tilbrook Designs. Um, I have a Facebook page as well same name um and i have um uh, an instagram account that i i use quite a lot probably probably more than i should uh, so I, i'm louise tilbrook designs on there as well and and also on twitter brilliant because your group is quite friendly as well i'm in your group and they are all lovely they're very chatty and nice 
yeah it, it's like again it's kind of grown um it's grown slowly um but yeah it, it's lovely we've got a real mix of people we've got um people from a variety of countries now and um no it, it's nice just to kind of chat to people obviously we we're all heavily into the socks and um we like to sort of chat about that a lot but also you know just general things um we've got a few of us meeting up in uh brighton um i've got a date now i think it's the end of march uh there's a a, a new yarn shop opened in brighton and um, yarn and knitting and um one or two of our group members live down um in brighton so we're I'm going to be catching the train and having a day out down there and, and meeting a few people, which will be really nice. I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, tea cake and yarn shopping is always, um, always a good combination. Um, but no, it, it's nice. It's grown. As I say, I, I like the fact that it's kind of grown over time. We've gradually got new members. And um, yeah, yeah, it's good fun. Just, um, just yeah, just adds to the, um, adds, adds to the enjoyment. It's, it's nice when people... And knit your designs but it's also nice when you when you get to know people as well and you get to know uh yeah you, you get to know what, what they like and what makes them tick and um yeah it's just a, a good fun bunch of people so do you have any sort of parting words of advice for those people who would maybe like to get into the industry or are considering in uh, starting to design stuff themselves um i think i, I would just say go for it actually um just just have a go I mean what's the worst that can happen um I think it's um it's always quite difficult um certainly to start with putting your work out there and making it available for people um but you know if if, if people like it then that's fabulous if, if they don't you might get some constructive feedback and you, you might um give you an incentive to try something different um I I, I would just just have a go, see what happens. Um, like you say, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And um, I think it's just one of those, um, I think, again, about Ravelry, it, it is such a supportive community. And I think I think you find that if you do dip your toe in the water and, and have a go, people people really like that. People um, People applaud it and, and, and like to see new people coming along. You know, they, they like to um, they like to get a sense of um, new designers, and they like to be able to support new designers as well. I mean, certainly, I've found that I, I do have a few people who are really um, really loyal customers. You know, as soon as I put patterns out, they buy them, and, and they tell other people, uh, and they they're like a little um, one person advertising band almost and, and that's that's really lovely so they don't have to do that um but you know, I think you might be surprised at how how receptive people are and how uh, keen they are to promote new designers brilliant so what's next then for Louise Tilbrook designs what's on the horizon that we can all get a little bit excited about <laughs> um oh uh, lots more socks I think um I'm just in the process of I, I've just released a design called um Sea Toller Socks um which is the first one of a series um you know, people who follow me on Ravelry or Instagram would know that I'm a big fan of the Lake District and um 
we take a few family holidays there every year. My boys are um, getting into mountain walking, so we, we do a lot of um, walking as a family. Um, so I'm designing um, a series of socks based on the, the Lakeland Walk. So we started off in Seatala, which is a, a nice, pretty little village. And then we're going to go up, um, the next one coming out soon is called Coombe Gill. Um, so that's going to be um, a waterfall, based on a waterfall that you see um, on the way up to the summit of a, a mountain called Glaramara. Um, so that'll be the third sock. And then, like all good um, country walks, ends in a so there'll be um, a, a fourth sock pattern inspired by by a local pub. Um, so, and obviously, I've, I've taken photos and um, got pictures from along the way as well. So you, you, you can you can knit the socks from the comfort of your armchair um, and enjoy a, a, a Lakeland walk at the same time. Oh, fantastic! Do you do geocaching with your kids? We do a bit, yeah, yeah. Um, it it started out as a way of um, enticing them to walk. Uh, <laughs> cruel mummy that I am. It was it was jelly beans and geocaching for quite a while, um, just to try. They've walked with us since they were since they were about three or four. So um, we're quite lucky in that our boys are very close in age, so they've always been able able to walk the same distance as each other. Um, but it, it, in in the early days, it was very good to have. Um, a few points of interest along the walk, something to kind of get them, you know, over that next stile or up to that tarn or, or whatever it was. And we still do it a little bit now. Um, but, but now my boys are very much focused on, yeah, they, they want to be at the summit. They want to kind of um, get the obligatory glamour shot of them looking all, um, all macho-like on the, on the mountain summit. Uh, but yeah, I, I like geocaching actually. It's good fun. It's, um, it's, it's always funny though when you particularly if you're in a very popular area and and you approach the point that you um that you think the geocache is in you can see another family scuffling around as well so you're kind of you're sort of hovering and always queuing so that you get to go and um get to go and discover the the, the cache for yourself but um but yeah but you you geocache a bit don't you i think yeah yeah um kate and i used to do it a lot we used to go on holidays called cash and lash before before we ha I had the children um and only one dog we would book a, a a little cottage and go on cash and lash for the week which basically involved geocaching in the day and the lash at evening <laughs> um as in drinking wine nothing at all kinky um but we, we had some massive crazy adventures including one that i forgot to mention and she reminded me of the other day where we were geocaching i think we might have even been in wigan or near wigan and um we went to find this geocache and um it was under a dead fox <laughs> so there was this dead fox there and it had these teeth sticking out because it was rigor mortis um but one of my dogs he's we think he broke his jaw once my mum was looking after him he ran into a pole so his teeth stick out all the time and it looked just like bowsy but it was a dead fox because they look very foxy the dogs as well so we had to get this like branch and lift the the fox up so we could get the cache out because we weren't going that far and not getting the geocache um and yeah, it was under a dead fox, and we had to place the fox back because you have to leave the geocaches exactly as you find them. So we had to then put it back under the fox. So yeah, it's quite funny. Oh, wow. And uh, honestly, couldn't make it up. This stuff couldn't make it up. <laughs> right. Well, on that fox-filled note, 
What does the fox say? Um, <laughs> not a lot, clearly. <laughs> um, thank you very much for your time, Louise, and Hi. for coming on to the show and entertaining us all today. And um, we'll look forward to your new design soon. Thank you. So I'm pleased to welcome back Claire again to the sock surgery. Welcome back to the show, Claire. Hello. And we are going to be talking today about uh, knitting toe-up socks. So Claire, the floor is yours. Take it away. Um, right. So I thought I would share a few hints and tips uh, just as a roundup, um, because I know so many of you have already finished your toe-up socks and um, just a few hints and tips that I think are helpful so one of the things that many people who love toe-up socks um, always say is that it's very good for making sure that you get the most out of that marvelous skein and it really is if you have a beautiful skein of sock yarn and you want to make sure that you use every last yard um, divide your yarn in half before you start I often feel that people sort of look at me with this horrified look that I'm expecting them to take precious knitting time and wind a second ball but actually just weigh it if you've got good electronic scales just weigh your skein knit until you've knit 50% of it and make sure that you stop just a little bit before so you can do your cast off as you might end up with a slightly shorter second sock and then you can work on your your second sock and you know that you'll have maximum length from that one delicious skein um, another uh, sort of useful piece of information and, and I'll pop all of this up on the website but there's a great tutorial for uh, two at a time toe up. I know a lot of people struggle to start toe up socks in general or, or two at a time toe up. So Heidi Bears um, who's actually a fellow South African, Joe knows her um, well I think, uh, she has an excellent tutorial with some really really good photos and while we're talking about casting on even if you're just casting on for one at a time which is my preferred method it's far, far too much tangle going on with two at a time but um each to their own is don't use a knot i used to use a knot a slip knot all the time uh, for my cast ons but i've stopped and it's been really really good because you don't want a knot in your toe and all you need to do is actually just rest the yarn over the needles and that will make a really big difference when you're doing your magic loop and um, so your Judy's magic cast on or your figure eight cast on um, and there's, there's lots of different methods and then I suppose the other two main things that I was going to talk about is experimenting with new toes I think we're more inclined to experiment with toes from the top down. I suppose it's one of those things that you're getting to the end and you think, oh, what can I do to make this fit my foot a little bit better or be a bit more interesting? But don't be afraid to experiment with different toes from the toe up. The standard wedge shape doesn't generally suit everybody. And if you want to read an interesting article, sort of toot my own horn here a bit, but I just wrote a masterclass technique piece for the knitter, which I believe is out in issue 83, about toes. And you can use all of those toes, top down or toe up, and there's lots of detailed instructions. So give that a try. And then the last bit, and I suppose if you've finished, you've already passed this hurdle. And if you're about to finish, don't get caught short with a cast off that's too tight. It's really the last thing you want. 
So many people will advocate Judy's surprisingly stretchy bind off and it is very stretchy and it is very good for the top of your socks. I find it a bit frilly for my liking and that's just my personal preference. It might be the way that I, I do the method. And if you do find that this really stretchy cast off sort of gives a little bit of a frilly edge that you don't like, try the Elizabeth Zimmerman sewn bind off. I know I advocate this for everything, but I suppose when you find something that works, stick with it. So my top tip for casting off is the Elizabeth Zimmerman sewn bind off. Um, it's absolutely brilliant. Oh, super. I think after we talked about it last time, I had a, a message or a comment from, I think it was PG Knitting Nurse on Ravelry, but that could be incorrect. This is just purely from memory, um, who said that if you do the um, surprisingly stretchy bind off inside out, it's not as frilly. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's worth, that's worth trying. Very good. Oh, you learn something new every day. Indeed. That's why we love the podcast, because we get lots of knowledge. Indeed, yeah. So I think that's it. Oh, and then I'm going to pop up a whole list of random resources on my blog. Um, I do try to do tutorials, but I also think that if there's really good resources out there, why replicate them when you can just link to them and, and make sure that people are getting access to those. So that will be up on the blog for you when this podcast goes live. I'm sure Jo will chase me with a big stick and remind me when she's going to put the podcast up. And um, that's that for toe up socks I think brilliant thanks Claire and you have been adding because we've been going along and you've been writing your own blogs you have been adding these resources to the uh, thread in Ravelry yes super so if um, it, when Claire writes new blog posts she does put them up in there as well so if you don't follow her on her blog and I recommend you do because it's just the easiest way of doing it and you get all of her other good stuff as well, like Caught My Eye, which is just a massive exercise in enabling. Um, you can uh, subscribe to that by email and you'll get it straight to your inbox. But if you don't want to do that, then uh, check it out in the group on Ravelry. Yep. Super. Thanks very much for that, Claire. Thank you. Just as a little addendum to uh, that uh, last section on toe-up socks, it's actually issue 82 of the knitter that has all of the toes in it. So uh, wouldn't want you, we wouldn't want you to miss out on that. So just to let you know, it's issue 82, not issue 83 as Claire previously thought. Also, if you've just been inspired to try toe-up socks after a month of uh, general sock enabling in that direction, Claire also has... Uh, a coupon code for her Elgin socks at the moment, the details for which are on her blog over at www.yarnandpointysticks.com. I will link to that in the show notes for you and you can get all the details of where to get your uh, money off code for Elgin, which are a really quick pair of uh, ankle socks knitted in iron weight yarn, super snuggly. I've definitely got plans for a pair of those in some lovely yarns from the plain Mobbly Aran that I've got kicked up in my bedroom yarn display. So you'll be seeing some of those from me soon and uh, from other people I know that have knit it, um, it's gone down really well. So for the Elgin pattern uh, and your coupon code, uh, get yourself over to Yarn on Pointy Sticks blog. Well, you've had an hour of me and various other special guests, so I'm afraid that's all we've got time for this week. And... There are some very exciting things coming up 
in the podcast and the schedule will remain compressed for the time being until I get us back onto the timeline. After all the crazy that's been happening around here recently, look forward in the next few episodes to us starting the Afterthought Heal uh, sock for March, which the thread for that is open already. And we'll be talking about all things to do with Afterthought Heels and self-striping yarn, which I love. And there's also an interview coming up with the utterly fabulous Stephen West. So look forward to more details on that over the next week or so. And have a lovely week. Happy crafting. Speak to you all again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to the Shiny Bees podcast, a podcast for those who like their knitting, comedy and yarn in equally large measures. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can do so via the blog, or I'm Shiny Bees on Ravelry, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest and Facebook. You can email me at shinybeesinfo at gmail.com. Music for this episode is provided via Music Alley and it is Adam and the Walter Boys and I Need a Drink. I need a drink.